Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to those who are watching online. And let me go ahead and begin by saying that song was strong, y'all. Woo! Like I almost, I was in, yeah, you clap for that. Um, I was in the back and I thought to myself, I don't even have to come preach a sermon. Now, I'm going to, but I almost don't have to. Because here's the deal. If you don't leave with anything else today, if you listen to the message and you feel like you didn't hear anything, you've already heard plenty because the heart of that song is this, is that Jesus, you are enough. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how much money is in the bank. It doesn't matter all the, my shortcomings. It doesn't matter because you, because of our relationship, have put the Holy Spirit within me. And so you are always near and you are always with me. And so that is enough. And if you don't get anything else from today, that is sufficient. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been going through the first three chapters of Revelation, and we have been looking at the seven letters that was written by Jesus but penned by John to the seven churches, these seven prominent churches. And we have seen a lot of different addresses to these churches. Now, I know after every week, you probably have gone home, studied, taken notes, memorized everything that we talked about over the last eight weeks. But in case you're in the minority and you didn't do that, you are in luck because I'm going to remind you of where we have been over the last eight weeks so that we can see better where we are going and so that we can close this series off out very, very well. In week one... We began in Revelation chapter 1, and we learned that Revelation simply remains this, this unveiling of Jesus. And we saw Jesus in his fully glorified state. One of my favorite lines from that first week was when Pastor Brady said, this is not baby Jesus in the manger, y'all. No, this is fully glorified Jesus who is high, who is lifted, who is seated on his throne, who controls all things and knows all things. This is that Jesus. And the better we can see Jesus, the better we know what we are reflecting. And so the better we can walk out this life he's invited us to live. In the second week, we looked at the church at Ephesus. And Jesus' biggest complaint against them was that they, yes, were checking all the things off the boxes, but they had forgotten why they were doing what they were doing. They had forgotten their first love, and their first love was Jesus, and he should motivate everything that we do. Week three, we saw the church in Smyrna where Jesus just encouraged this church. There was nothing negative to be said about this church. And he commended them for the fact that they were enduring persecution and their faith was worth more than the most refined of gold. And so he just encouraged them to keep walking and to know that he was going to use and leverage what they were walking through for his glory and for their good. Then in week four, we saw the church at Pergamum, this church that so tried to live 
both ways. They tried to live for the world and they tried to live for Jesus, but yet they could not do it. They were a double-minded people. God had called them to either or, but they were trying to live with both and, live for the world and for Jesus, and you could not do that. If you don't remember anything I said in the message, remember the crumble cookies, everybody. Week five, the church at Thyatira. Jesus was talking to those that were a part of that church, and he said, you know what? There are some things that you're not bringing to light. There are some things you're not speaking into. You guys have become more tolerant than even I. I have called you to much, much more, but yet you are settling for much, much less. Week six, the church at Sardis. They were a dead church, but yet they didn't even realize they were dead. There was no fruit to be seen. There was no evidence of their faith or belief. They were a dead church. And then last week, Pastor Todd, we examined the church at Philadelphia. Again, Jesus just encouraged them. There was nothing negative spoken to them. And Pastor Todd reminded us that a faithful church is made up of faithful individuals. That we are all these rocks in the foundation of what God is doing. And so faithful people make up a faithful church. And then at the end of his sermon, he did this illustration that blew my mind, y'all. If you were here last week, if you weren't, you should go watch it online. But when he threw Jesus into the dirty water, y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all like, they threw Jesus where? But he threw Jesus into the dirty water and it became clean. And I thought to myself after he did that, like, I'm never doing an illustration ever again. How can you compete with Jesus cleaning up everything? I mean, he did it. But then again, this week, I'm going to step into an illustration anyway. So, and then that brings us to the church at Laodicea. It was this church that was located about 45 miles southeast of the church at Philadelphia. It was leading in the bacon industry and leading in the textile industry, and it was making medical advances. And from the look of it, it had everything going for it. It was located not far from the church at Colossae, which was known for their fresh drinking water, which is a big deal if you live in a very arid and desert part of the world. And about six miles east of it was this church called Heropolis that was known for its healing hot springs. And the reason I tell you about where it's geographically located is because we're going to come back to that because where they are geographically reveals where they are spiritually as well. The church at Laodicea was in a perfect position to offer life and healing to its community, yet it did not. And as we look into the pages of Scripture, we're going to see Maybe what the Lord needs to reveal to us in our own lives by looking at this last church. And my prayer for us is not that you hear a word from me, but that you hear a word from the Holy Spirit. And you will walk out of here allowing that word to take root and for your life to have fruit from the word that has been planted. So I invite you right where you are to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you do. Thank you that you have invited us to be a part of a kingdom that will last forever. Thank you that you know our name. Thank you that you've invited us to dine at your table. 
And as we sit and we eat with you, we become as sons and daughters of the king. May we never, ever forget that our identity is rooted in your completed work. That it's not something we are working for, but it's something we are working from. So in the next few moments, Lord, will you reveal to us what needs to be seen? Will you be our courage to take a step in a different direction? And may we continue to fix our eyes on you, the perfecter of our faith. So Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. So turn in your Bibles or on your Bible app to Revelation chapter 3. Verse 14, it begins this way. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. See, this letter starts the way that the last six letters have begun. It's reminding us of who is writing this letter. Jesus wants us to know that he is the one that is speaking these words, and he's reminding us of who he is. Why does he take the time to remind us of who he is? Because if we recognize who he is, then maybe, maybe we will give ear to it and allow these words to penetrate our hearts. Maybe if we recognize that Jesus is the one speaking these words and John is the one pinning these words, that maybe, just maybe, we will listen to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So why should we listen to him? Because you should always listen to the person who overcame the grave. A good rule of thumb is if they overcame the grave and they defeated death, we probably should give ear to that. As I was thinking about that, I thought, man, Jesus is the originator of God's creation. And I was thinking, it reminded me of this. You may have heard it said an OG. Some of y'all are like, Nick, I never heard that in my entire life. You're about to learn more than you thought you wanted to know. OG stands for original gangster. It's like a gangster back in the day that just did it the old school way that has always been a while around. And so as I was thinking that, y'all are like, that's where your brain goes? It does. It's a messed up place, everybody. But as I was thinking about an OG, I was thinking, really, Jesus is the OO. He's the original originator. What that means is everything was created through him. Everything was created by him. He was there in the beginning. He will be there in the end, and he is in the in-between. He is high, and he is lifted up. He is on his throne. He has overcome the grave. And so we should listen to what the brother has to say because he is the original originator. And he is reminding this church at Laodicea that not only had a spiritual problem, but they also, based on where they were geographically, had some other issues. But he's reminding them that in spite of their issues, who he is. See, they were located in a place that was prone to earthquakes. I would say that's a bit of a problem. The other problem they had geographically was this. They had no fresh water. If you're living in a dry desert place and you don't have water, that is not a good spot to be in. So their answer for this, they would build aqueducts that would bring the fresh water from Colossae to them so that they would have drinking water. But again, what I said earlier about their geographic location was indicative of their spiritual location. We're going to see that to be true in verse number 15 where Jesus is about to speak to them. He says this, I know your deeds, 
that you are neither cold nor hot. What he is saying is this. You are not like your neighbors in Colossae who have the cold, refreshing, fresh water from their springs. And you're also not like Heropolis that has these hot springs that are used for healing. I wish you were either one or the other. I wish you were fully hot or you were fully cold. Verse 16. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Let me go ahead and say this. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand what Jesus is saying, right? It's pretty clear. Because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And, and here's, here's the thing. I don't want you to misinterpret this. I don't want you to miss this. What Jesus is not saying, he is not saying that because you have chosen to do the wrong thing, you have lost your salvation. This is not speaking about salvation. What this is speaking about is this. I have called you, church, at Latiosia to be fully full of me, to be full of my spirit and to navigate as my ambassadors. But yet you have traded your identity that is rooted in me for a lesser identity and you reflect the world and you don't reflect me. And so because you have forgotten whose you are, I will spit you out of my mouth because you have lost your potency. You have lost who you are. You have lost your calling. And because of that, it is not good for anything. And as I read those words, I have to admit to you, I do not like them. Verse 17, you say I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize, it's about to get real, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Let me read that again in case you missed it. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but let me tell you how it really is. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You have forgotten that I have invited you to be fully full of me. I've invited you to reflect me in all things. I've invited you to use your gifts and your talents and your positioning to reveal to this broken world of who I am, but yet you have chosen not to do that. You have chosen not to be fully full of me. And so because you chose not to be full of me, you are lacking. And I will spit you out of my mouth. See, also, he's referring to their geographic position when he says, you know those aqueducts that you have built to bring the fresh, refreshing water from Colossae? Those aqueducts along the way to Latiosia, it picks up minerals and impurities. And so by the time it gets to you, it is not good for drinking because it has become unpure. So he goes, even your drinking water reflects your state that you're in. You're neither hot nor cold, and because of that, I will spit you out of my mouth. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it reminds us of what was intended for us. To them God has chosen, talking to his church, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ has appointed that we reveal Jesus to the world around us. That because of the way we love, 
because of the way we serve, because of the ways we treat each other. It is supposed to paint a picture of Jesus' love for his creation. But yet, we have missed it. You have been chosen to reveal the glory of Jesus, but yet you have settled for a lesser calling. You have been invited to pour out what has been poured into you, but you choose not to do that. As I was reading these verses, it reminded me of something. Of course, chocolate milk. Some of y'all are like, what's wrong with your brain? Y'all, it's a scary place. Just ask my wife. But one of the things I love most in this world is ice-cold chocolate milk. Every time you drink a cup of ice-cold chocolate milk, it's a worship experience. Glory be to God in the highest. He is high and lifted up. But the problem is the older I have gotten, the less my body likes lactose. Mm. And so because of that, there are still even times that even though I know what happens if I drink milk, I say, come what may. Come what may. Then a couple of years ago, we discovered milk, real milk, that doesn't have any lactose in it. Praise the lamb. And see, y'all, I'm telling you, there is nothing better of going to my refrigerator, pulling out a half gallon of good chocolate milk, pouring me a cup, and worshiping Jesus by drinking that cup of chocolate milk, y'all. There is not many things better in the world. But I don't know if you've ever had the misfortune of drinking milk that has sat out too long. It does not bless your soul. You are not singing praises to the king. You are cursing everything around you. And maybe you didn't know that it had grown lukewarm. Maybe you wasn't aware of how long it had been left out, but you go and you take a drink, and you don't go, you know what, I'm going to just power through and drink it anyways. No, you spit that out. Because no one wants sour milk. It is not good for anything. On the flip side, so if you have cold chocolate milk on one side, you have hot chocolate on the other hand. Glory be to God. This morning I was sitting at Starbucks. Now, typically, just so you know, I'm a just love hot chocolate fan, but they didn't open at the time I needed them to open, so I had to go with the Starbucks hot chocolate, and it's still good, but it's definitely JV. Sorry, Starbucks. Anyways, so I was there, and I go up to the barista, and I say, hey, I would like a hot chocolate, and they go, okay, and, and then they begin to make it, and y'all, they take that chocolate concoction, and they get the little steamer, and it's like, shh. Then they take a little cream and they pour it in, and it's like slow motion. I'm like, glory be to God. And I'm, and I'm watching them do this, not in a creepy way, but just in a way of like, here comes the hot chocolate, right? And then the young lady asked me a question, which I think is a very silly question. Sir, would you like some whipped cream? Girl, give me a double help and a blessing, right? So she puts the whipped cream on top, and... She gives it to me, and then something that happens. If you drink hot chocolate, you know what happens. See, that whipped cream that was placed so nicely on top starts to kind of mix in with the hot chocolate goodness. And you take that first sip, and it's like, yes, yes. But yet again, if that hot chocolate gets cold like this one has gotten cold, if I was to drink that, I would not want to continue to drink it because it's neither hot nor cold. The very thing that made it hot chocolate has been lost. 
Why? Why don't I want to drink lukewarm hot chocolate and why don't I want to drink lukewarm cold chocolate milk? The reason is this. It's because these two things have begun to reflect their environment and have lost the essence to reflect its source. And so the very thing that made it set apart and different was the very thing it surrendered when it began to reflect the environment instead of reflecting its source. When we reflect the environment and not our source, we become unpalatable. What does unpalatable mean? Not pleasant to taste, difficult to tolerate or accept. Scripture refers to it as this, it has lost its saltiness. And we have all seen this in our everyday lives. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're driving in traffic and you see a car that has a bumper sticker or something that says, I love Jesus. And they cut you off and then flick you off in traffic. Your face gets all stanky, like, no, you didn't. Why does your face get stanky? Why? Because it doesn't make sense. Because in your head, you have drawn the conclusion that based on the fact that they love Jesus, that they probably should still love Jesus even in the midst of traffic, right? And when they don't, there is something in your head that goes, that is off. And that is what Jesus is saying to this church in Laodicea. He is saying something is off. You have forgotten to reflect your source. You have become just like the environment around you when I have made you to be more than that. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. One of my favorite quotes, and I've used here a couple of different times, is from a small booklet called The Letters from a Birmingham Jail. It was written by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it was the letters that he wrote while sitting in jail talking to his brothers and sisters of the church. And he says this, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the moyes of society. And that word moyes, what it means is it means the inner workings of society. Because these Christians held on to what Christ said and they fixed their eyes on Jesus and they would not sacrifice or surrender what Jesus had called them to do, it's amazing that society began to change because they were thermostats and not thermometers. And as I read that, I was like, man, that kind of cuts my heart deep because I struggle with being a thermostat. Why? Well, one reason is it's easier to be a thermometer, everybody. It's easy just to reflect what you're around. It is easier. The other thing for me is at my heart, I am a people pleaser. I want people to like me. I do. 
And I will dance and I will sing and I will speak in order to get others to affirm me. I will do all those things because I want so badly and so desperately to be liked by others. But here is part of the problem with that. If I go over here and I dance and I sing and I do all the things so that people will like me and people will affirm me, the only problem with that is the people over here are going, no, that's not enough. That is not sufficient. You need to do it differently. So I come over here and I want to please these people and I'm going, hey, let me do everything in my power to please you. And then once I get to please you, then the people over here, what are they saying? That's not enough. Because everybody, if you have not learned this, the human condition is a fickle one. It changes like the wind. Let me go ahead and tell you something that hopefully will save you some time, energy, and effort. You cannot please everybody. Let me say it again. You cannot please everybody. Now listen. For some of you, what you just heard is, well, I'm just going to be mean to everybody. No, (laughs) that is not what I am saying. I am saying chiefly we have called to reflect the king. So we've only been invited to really reflect one person and to walk in obedience with one person, and that's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It is a dangerous place to be where we live for the applause of man over the affirmation of our king. It's a dangerous place to live. And I'm telling you, I'm still in recovery of being a people pleaser. I am still tempted every moment to be what I think everybody else wants me to be. And the king has said, hey, Nick, I have made you who you are. I have invited you to reflect me. So walk with me. And if you do that, you are doing everything I have asked you to do. Let us not be a people who are more concerned with the applause of people, but let us be a people that are most concerned with the affirmation of our king. These are hard words. What I love about Jesus, though, is he doesn't leave it right here. He doesn't leave this narrative right here. And not going past verse 17, but he keeps going. Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, he says this. I counsel you. This is the first letter to the churches in Revelation where he calls himself counselor. What that means is he hears you, he sees you, he is near, and he is trustworthy. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. What Jesus is saying there is don't flee persecution. Don't run past the inconvenience. Sometimes I've called you to walk through the fire, but no, I'm going to leverage that and use that for your good and my glory. He goes on to say this. So now you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. What is Jesus saying there? Here's what he is saying. He said, listen, I have covered you with my blood. I have overcome the grave and I have put on you a robe of my righteousness. So now you are something new. You have been redeemed and now you have been made alive again. That is the gospel. So he goes, listen, you don't have to walk in shame because I've covered your shame with my glory, my righteousness, and my goodness. 
just walk in the robe that I have given to you that I supplied from the cost of my life. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He's saying, church at Latiosia, you think you see things correctly, but let me give you some new data so that you can truly see where you are. Let me reveal to you where you truly are. Why is this important? Because in order to take that next step, you need to see where you are. In order to know that you need a Savior, you have to see why you're in need of a Savior. And so he goes, I'm going to put the salve on your eyes so that you can truly see. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Discipline is loving, everybody. Can I just tell you, no one likes to be disciplined. But do you know that I really don't love to discipline either? Like when my parents would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I was like, liar. Give me the belt. I'm just kidding. But I used to think, man, no way. But the more I learned and when I became a father, discipline truly is a loving thing. Let me give you an example. I have an almost five-year-old son. His name is Nash, and he's the cutest little thing ever, and he's also a little crazy. Nash is in a season of his life where he really likes punching things, especially his older brother. And so I very easily could go up to Nash and be like, Nash, that was great form you used to punch your brother in the throat. That was good. But I'm not going to do that. Why am I not going to do that? Because I have been the younger brother. And I have made the mistake time and time again of picking on my older brother. And there were always times where my older brother would remind me that he is not okay with being hit. And so for Nash, I want to let him know that, hey, buddy, I know you get away with cheap shots on your brother, but there's going to be a day when you're going to pick the wrong day and you're going to punch your brother Jackson and he is going to punt you. <laughs> it's going to happen. How do I know that? Because I've been there before. How do I know that? Because I've seen this story play out plenty of times. And because I love my son Nash, what I do is I go over to Nash and go, hey, buddy, this is not what is best for you. Because your older brother is going to kick you one day. So Nash, I'm inviting you to go a different way that is best. Now, what if Nash says, Daddy, you don't know me. You don't know. I know better. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick that little boy up. Place him right here and be like, you better walk. Why? Because I'm willing for him to be mad at me for him to take the next best step. And listen, there are times where he doesn't understand it. There are times where he might look at me and go, Dad, why would you do that? Why would you allow that to happen? Dad, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And here's the deal. As his father, I know the best way for him to go. Why do I know that? Because I've been there and I've seen it. And so I know what's in store for him. And so what I want for him is what is best. And the same is true of your heavenly father, everybody. Your heavenly father is not mad at you. 
He has plenty of evidence established to show you how much he loves you. There is nothing else he has to do. And so because we know that to be true, because we know he is loving, then that should be the filter in which we place over our lives so that we can see things more clearly. Discipline is loving, and your heavenly Father loves you. Verse 20. It's a verse that does not make sense to me. Because it is loaded with this thing called grace that all of us struggle from time to time to embrace and understand. Verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone, let me say that part again. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus desires to dine with us. See, in the ancient world, when you would issue someone a dinner invitation or to eat food with you that maybe you were estranged with, they knew that that meant that you wanted to reconcile the relationship. So this picture that Jesus is painting is going, hey, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is standing at your door and I am knocking because I want to reconcile you and I want to dine with you and I want to remind you of who you are and the best way to be reminded of who you are is to sit in front of me and to eat with me. And sometimes I have a hard time receiving this because I think to myself, Who am I that you would come take the first step towards me and invite me to a meal that you prepared? Who am I, being in the state that I'm in, I have done nothing but run from you, Jesus. I have chosen my own way, but yet what do you do? You take a step out of heaven and out of glory. You put on flesh and you invite me to dine with you. There is no better invitation in the world than to dine with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But you know what else I noticed about this? Jesus doesn't go, hey, I'm going to force myself upon you. I'm going to come in no matter what. No, no, no. Why doesn't he do that? Because if you force something on somebody, that's not really love. The only thing we can do with love is to receive it. To take it any other way, it doesn't make it love. And so Jesus stands at the door and he patiently knocks and goes, hey, I would love to dine with you if you want to. I would love to eat with you if you're willing. I would love for you and I to partake in a meal and for me to prepare this feast in front of you. And if you eat at my table and if you dine with me, you become as my son or my daughter. The question is this, will you open the door? See, this invitation is not just for those who are not yet in relationship with Jesus. Yes, it's for them. But it's also for those of us that know Jesus, but yet we have been running our own way. It's an invitation to repent, to have a change of mind, to come back and sit down at the table and eat until we are full. Verse 21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
Accepting the invitation to dine with the king leads to kingdom inheritance. If you accept this invitation, you become a part of this kingdom that will last forever. If you repent and go, hey, Jesus, I had a change in mind. I have become like my environment instead of becoming like my source. We inherit this kingdom of God. Revelation, the heart behind Revelation is this. Jesus is king. And he is seated on his throne and he has invited us to be a part of the kingdom and to build the kingdom with him. There is no better invitation in the world. If you would, bow your heads. So for those of us in here who have not yet accepted the initial invitation to sit at the king's table and to become as a son or daughter of the king, you might respond to Jesus in this way. I don't understand it all. But the best way I know how, I say yes to the price that was paid on the cross for me. I say yes to your resurrection over the grave. And I say yes to walking in relationship with you. Maybe you've always already said something like that, but maybe your life doesn't reflect a surrendered heart. His invitation for you is to have a change of mind, a change of direction, and to accept the invitation to walk where he is leading you. Whatever decision it is you need to make in this moment, my prayer is that God will be your strength. And that your willingness will lead you to take the next step of obedience. And so I'm going to pray over us using the words of Paul when he wrote his letter to the church at Ephesus. He said this. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined for us as adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, Jesus we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put in effect when the time reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you that you called us before we took a step towards you. Thank you that you loved us before we loved you back. Thank you that you took a step out of glory. You came to our door and you are willing to knock for those who do not know you or for those to return to you who have been lost. And so Jesus... May we respond to this truth, not just with our words, but with our lives. And may we use the gifts and talents you have given us to be fully hot or to be fully cold. But may it be said of us that we are walking in an identity that you have given us. 
Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. Father, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.